The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 196 on the com podcast sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the com website. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash oneouter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, it's Thursday. How are you? I am fan-effing-tastic, Barry. How are you doing? Yeah, I don't believe you. You sound... Uh, you sound stressed and scattered. <laughs> well, well, but can you hear me better than when we were talking before we got on the show? Because I just plugged my mic in. I realized that wasn't plugged in. Yeah, you're crystal. Oh, uh, crystal, that's good. Yeah, uh, let, let, me, let me let you guys know what kind of day I'm having. I tried to use my Metro card to get in my apartment building. I tried to record this podcast with the calculator function on the laptop, and I just was trying to do a podcast without my microphone plugged in. So, yeah, like I said, fantastic. Doing, doing awesome today. Yeah. I think you just get those days sometimes, and I put it down to lunar cycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the position of Venus really got me this week. <laughs> I, I had to realign my chakras, too, but I didn't hire my guru for long enough. Yeah. I remember actually reading the thing. It was quite interesting, that, you know, because the argument was, well, the moon, you know, affects the tides of the oceans and water. We are made up of whatever percent water, so the moon does probably have an effect on us. <laughs> I mean, it's just good science, Barry. It's yeah. hard. It's hard to dispute. It's one of science. It's pseudoscience. So, yeah. what's been happening anyway? You, you you were playing the last time we spoke. The last two episodes we recorded back to back. You were just back from your trips. And um, what have you been up to this week? Well, I came back from the tour, and the tour was wholly exhausting. Uh, I love playing poker on the road. I, I can't describe how much I enjoy playing poker tournaments. I like the Greyhounds. I like the quality in. I like going to the diner in the morning, listening to my audiobooks about performance or athletes like coming out of the minors to succeed and just knowing that I have the opportunity to do something not similar, but I do get to compete. That is really special, but it's very exhausting and doing two tournaments back to back is exhausting. Then, like right when we came back, uh, right when I came back, I went and visited uh, with my girlfriend. I visited uh, her family in Washington D.C., and that was a lot of fun. Woo! If the rest of the country looked as good as D.C. looked, there'd be a lot less strife in the United States, Barry. They keep where those politicians live. They keep very clean. <laughs> and it honestly, honestly though, it's a beautiful city. You can see the monuments at night. We, we went for a walk, uh, through, I think it's called the National Mall there. And you can see all the memorials at night and that adds a really eerie resonance that isn't available during the day. They have all the lights on the Martin Luther King Memorial, the Korean War Memorial, the Vietnam War Memorial. Uh, and of course, you saw Planet of the Apes when the Lincoln Memorial was defaced with, uh, a damn dirty ape. But yeah, I saw the, I saw the real version of that. That was pretty neat. 
got to see all the founding documents too, the Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights, uh, all that good stuff. And that was really fun. But again, you know, you hop in a Greyhound, you come back. And then right when I came back this week, I had not one but two presentations with two poker schools, which has never happened before. But it was one of those, hey, we can do it on this day. And I said, okay, like a month ago. And then another one said, okay, this day. And I said, great. And I looked at my schedule a couple weeks back and went, whoa, <laughs> better have these ready. So I've been teaching a full schedule and I've been putting together these webinars. And the webinars have gone really well. Uh, everybody with Split Suit and Company, we had about 800 people sign up for that webinar and everybody was really nice. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I showed up to the webinar early, just at 45 minutes early. So if anybody wanted to sign in and kind of figure out the audio and how to download the documents I sent for free and whatnot, they'd have the time. But they were actually asking really good questions. I ended up staying for two hours aside from the one-hour presentation on my materials about best sizing a, li a little bit. A little bit tougher of a lesson, not not as much spoon feeding, uh, but still very fun. And sometimes I try to keep things hyper simple. That's a really fun one. But this time I tried to go a little further with it, and everybody was really receptive, really loved it. So that was very nice. And then, yeah, today I have another one, and it's just about on post-flop plays that really ruin your results and just some unorthodox ideas you can use to help you or just some concepts that if you understand will help you much more in the field. Simple combinatorics. Uh, combinatorics is a big word for combination counting and just some generalizations you can make in different situations that'll help you from making really bad bets. So, yeah, I've been putting those together, and it's actually been a lot of fun, but the thing I love about deadlines is, man, they make you work, and it's intense, and you got your metal on, and you're chugging coffee, and I also get a huge kick out of creating. I think it's amazing. I haven't been keeping up with my newsletter for like a week because I've been putting all this stuff together, but it's amazing that kicking it back up tonight, tomorrow night, there's going to be two new training videos, you know, almost like getting an hour lesson for free, uh, a bunch of new articles, a bunch of new podcasts. And I think there's something special about that because not, not that I want to leave a legacy or anything, but it's just special to create something and to get paid to create something and to be able to go back out and compete on the tour because you're able to create something that helps other people uh, that that's wonderfully freeing. But yeah, I might've been burning the midnight oil a little too much the last couple days. So hence uh, me taking out my Metro card to get into my apartment complex, which did not leave me feeling brilliant. Yeah. I, I can hear my fingers. Sorry about that, Barry. No, I think I think it's interesting when you say you know the burning the midnight oil and yeah that's all good and positive stuff and then you know days like your you've just described today when things go like that it's amazing how they quickly the rest of the day follows the same path it's like you know, you don't just use your metro card to get in your but it's like bang bang bang. And you wonder if it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because you've got it in your head now that, like, oh, it's one of those days. So you're going around in this sort of, um, for want of a better word, sort of pissed-off state rather than a, you know, a peak state. And it's just funny. It's like it's just another reminder, I think, that you definitely need to have balance working because even myself, the last six weeks, I've been full-on, and it's... I hate to call it stress because it's not stress. It's all good stuff, but it's the same responses of like um, a lot to do, a lot riding on things, and I've been doing a lot, you know, with my business and stuff. And it's all came. I've came out the other end, and it's all worked out, and I've came out, you know, done great out of it financially, 
ready. Uh, it's put me in a great position going forward now and other things I want to do. But there's still this like almost come down from it. And I think it's like a real physical thing in terms of, you know, nervous energy or nervous tension. And it's weird because it's like, it's like when people say, oh, I want to get there. If I just had this money, or I had that opportunity. And it's almost that sometimes you think, be careful what you wish for. And it's like to take it back to poker when people think, um, oh, you know, I wish I could final table the WSOP. Like, I know tons of people, myself included, like, if that happened and once you're there and you're not versed in that and ready for it, things can quickly take over, you know, in terms of um, how you're going to perform, how you're going to handle it, and whether you're even going to enjoy the moment. Because I'm doing stuff now with um, a business that only five years ago I would have been saying, wow, if I'm in that position then, that'll be great. And then quickly you start almost moaning about it or saying, oh, I've got this, that's stressful, this stress. And you're like, I think it's important, like with poker and business is the same. If, you, if you're like me and you came from nothing, you know, my family's not wealthy, etc. It's all, anything I've got and done has been sort of self-created. And like yourself, Alex, I think what you have to do is really, really important to think back to earlier times in your journey, whether that's your poker career or your life, and sort of give yourself a bit of credit and also not be foot on the accelerator the whole time because you, you're just going to burn out. And um, I never thought that. And, like, guys that are wiser and older than me always used to say to me, I, I could never understand why they were just, they had this pot of money and they didn't do anything apart from, like, maybe mope around and go on the odd holiday. And they were a bit down and depressed. And I would say to them, uh, one guy in particular, why don't you, like, what are you doing? You know, why don't you? And this is me as, like, a 17, 18-year-old. And this guy's, you know, 40 or whatever. And he, he, always, he said to me, I just don't have the hunger anymore. I'm just burnt out. I've just, I've just not got the energy. Like my brain, like certain parts of my brain are just, like they just don't fire like they used to. And I never got it. I never got it. And I still don't fully get it. But I could see quickly if you go full pelt, as we say in Scotland, you know, full on the gas for 10, 20 years between the ages of like 25 to 45. I think you can really, like, regardless of what physical shape you're in, good or whatever, I mean, that'll obviously help, but I think you could quickly almost create a reality for yourself that even though you're a success, you're, you're a failure, really, you know? I completely agree. I, I have not taken a week off since I was 19 years old, as far as I know, even... Uh, I've taken five days off uh, before. I've seen some places, but it just comes up. And that's not to say I haven't had an incredible life, but I what you're saying is something I've only started understanding the last year or so, which is for, I want to say, nine and a half years in my 20s, I, I didn't take a two-day weekend. I, there were there were periods of time, years even, I, I didn't take a day off. I would just keep going. Even on my off days, I would come in and work for a couple hours. Yeah. And fortunately, there's good and bad stuff about that. One thing that's good is you're talking about if you get to a WCP final table, you won't know what to do. And I get that. Or you, you'll feel a little flustered. Naturally, who wouldn't be? But... I I would still be flustered, but I think muscle memory would take over because I've trained so much. And luckily enough, I have experienced loss in poker tournaments. And when you lose something, you get hungry to get it back. And I think that's probably what plagued your friend who you were questioning when you were 17, 18 years old was – he probably didn't have the hunger because he'd never lost it at any point. So it, you you get new, into neutral at that point. You coast. And I think that's almost one of the worst things in the world for you. And I was lucky enough to make some bad decisions or just not have my big flip work out at the EPT. And 
I really mean that. I was lucky because I experienced loss. I had a number of things that I wouldn't I'd rather not live through again happen. And you end up appreciating it a lot more and you end up training a lot harder because you lost it at some point. And that's kind of the good part of it, which is when you come in, okay, I'll be ready for this. And look, I've been down before. I'll be fine. But yeah, the bad part is you're not, I think what you were alluding to is you're not appreciating life as well as you could. And the question then becomes, why even do this if you're not having fun? If you're not doing anything with it, it, it's like the guy who, the guy who makes a billion dollars but never spends it. There's a lot of times I meet a rich person and I think if you're doing the same things my stoner ass buddies and I were doing when I was 17, when you're the richest guy I know, I don't think you're really that rich. I've met a lot of, I guess you were kind of on this topic, which is I met a few rich people that just all they do is sit around all day and watch movies and smoke pot. That's all they do. Yeah. Because, like you said, the drive's gone. And that's to me sad. And I, I think what is really the basis of a good life is what do you do with the money you have? And it's just a tool. Like, your mind is a tool. When you're younger, maybe your mind's a little faster but not as sharp. Uh, and you don't have as much money. When you get older, maybe your brain's a little slower, but maybe it's a little sharper, and you do have some money to play with. And the question then becomes, how do you use all these tools together, and what do you create? Do you uh, provide for your family? Do you help at-risk youth? Do you do something? Uh, do you create anything that helps anyone? And if you don't want to help other people, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, uh, but do you get contentment out of playing poker. A lot of people play poker and they don't like it, right? And that's so confusing because, and to be fair, we were there five years ago. If you listen to the original podcast, it's just like, poker, am I right? Ah, this sucks. And now we appreciate it a lot more because we realize, well, it's supposed to be fun. The money, it comes or it doesn't. But if you play professionally, that's a far different thing than playing for fun. And most people should play for fun. The other thing to your topic, Barry, if, if you watch uh, the most expensive thing in sports – is a pitcher's arm. The guy, the guys who start with the baseball in baseball, the, the guys who throw that damn ball 101 miles an hour and can hit uh, a target the size of a deck of playing cards. Those guys, like, they literally, that one, it, those guys, like, on average, make the most money in sports. The average uh, striker in soccer, it's not even close. There's guys who get $236 million who are not amazing pitchers in the United States. And everything becomes about their arm because that's really their money makes. So there's a lot of, is your arm tired today? Is your arm feeling a certain way? How long do we have to rest your arm? And they take care of it immaculately if they're going to do this for a living. If they have to do a surgery on it, they get the best surgeon in the world. And if you think about it, for the rest of us, the organ that really is our moneymaker is our minds. Uh, and it's our happiness generator as well. And we should be taking care of it as well as these guys take care of their moneymakers. Because even if we don't make a ton of money, it's all the money we're ever going to get. And even if we don't make a ton of happiness, it's still all the happiness we're going to get. And there's a lot of times now I check in with myself, how do I feel today? Like Monday this week, I, I said, my brain's at a 10. I'm really well rested from this vacation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all out today. I'm not leaving that webinar till Thursday. I'm really well rounded right now. I'm recording it right now. And then I'll just play it when I show up. I'll do all the answers live, the Q&A live, but right now is when I'm going to make the best 
of it. And there's other days, perhaps when you use your Metro card to try to get in the apartment building, or maybe your brain isn't a five, isn't a ten. Perhaps it's a five, and you got to go. Okay, what can I do today? Because unfortunately, I can't just say I need to rest today. But maybe today is emails, right? Perhaps some of my students would like some offhand comments I wouldn't make in a full frame of mind, right? I wouldn't be so perfect when I'm talking to them. I would just chop it up with them like we're actually friends. And I was a little tired on a tour stop. I think that's what many of them want, right? And I think we don't have enough appreciation for that in our culture, Barry, which is I think there's actually, there's a money total every time you rest a pitcher in baseball, like it's worth a certain amount of money because when he comes back into the game, he's going to have a certain greater amount of efficacy, which can translate to a dollar total. It will, if he gets however many strikeouts, his win above replacement goes up. It is a dollar total for that franchise. And we have to recognize we are all the heads of our own franchises, our households, our, our families. And, you were on me about this five years ago, which is like, Alex, you're going to burn out. Alex, you're going to burn out. You know, I really wish I'd listened to you because I did burn out and I did. I put on a lot of weight because I didn't take care of myself and I treated people poorly that I really cared about. And I realize now that I take when I started dating my current girlfriend, I said, look, you got to take two-day weekends. You got to take care of yourself. You got to do what Barry told you to do back at the beginning. You got to watch, uh, uh, what did you used to always call them? Your box sets, right? You got you to gotta watch your, uh, your silly horror movies or whatever it is. Whatever is going to take you to rest or you got to go for walks or whatever it is. Whatever is going to help you, you got to do. It actually... And if you really have to think of it from a business-minded perspective, I think it is worth a dollar total because whenever they do that research of like, okay, these people work 12 hours a day, six days a week, they find they're no more effective are getting no more work done than the people who worked five days a week, eight hours, as long as they came in there and they were really humming or Sometimes guys like doing four days a week, 10 hours, but they go really hard those 10 hours, those four days, because they got a three-day weekend at the end. There's different ways to structure it, and I think you got to find what works for you. But I think it's a great strategy to check in with yourself when you're on the train, when you're on transit, when you get a second and go, where's my mind at, 1 to 10? Where's a... If you're someone who gets mood disturbances, how's that one to 10? One being like you're just the calmest as you can be, 10 being like you're a raving lunatic. And if you feel that mood disturbance getting a little higher, you feel your tiredness getting up up there, well, your mental acuity going down, take a second for yourself to, you know, go work out or go for a walk or read a book in the park, something along those lines. And I really think if you put all that stuff together, I was not really good at that, but I did take more time off than most poker pros. You guys think I'm bad. Like, I'm sure you guys think of, uh, like, when you hear, like, didn't take a two-day weekend for nine and a half years, you think I'm insane. I am nothing compared to some of these tournament pros who they just go hard every second of every day. And... That's why they burn out in three years. That's why turnover is three years. They go three years. They have no life. They feel like they gave away three years of their life. And most of the time, they get nothing to show for it, and they quit. And I think I'm still around because when I did play a tournament in Rio de Janeiro, I said, look, one day, just one day while you're here, you've got to go see the Christ Redeemer. You have to go see this city because you will regret it for the rest of your life if you don't do it. And taking that time off, it always motivated me to get back out there because you could see more, be happier. It does have a dollar total at the end of the day. And uh, this is a really roundabout way of me telling you, Barry, you were right the whole time. I just didn't listen to you. <laughs> well, I, I think it's difficult because you, like myself, 
you set your own hours. There's nobody telling you what hours you do and what you do in your hours. So that can sometimes lead to unstructured chaos and you're still productive and you get things done, but you're not turning up at an office where it's like, we're closed on Saturday, Sunday, Alex, so you can't come here. You know, it's, you can be open 24 seven and you can work 24 seven if you deprive yourself sleep and really wanted to, you know, make yourself crazy. You could do that 24 seven. So it's hard when you're the one structuring the hours because you're always on sometimes, you know, and even when you're off, you're still thinking, I could be doing this, I could be doing that. And I think that's where the discipline comes in. And like you say, you have to flip it and look at it this way. Actually, this time off, and to use my example, me watching the box sets or whatever, and I have, I've been watching Ozark, which is fantastic. I recommend that. Oz? Uh, Wait, Oz? Oz? Ozark. Oh, Ozark. I was about to say, that's really weird. That show came up in my gym today. But yeah, sorry. Okay, Ozark is good. Continue. But Oz is excellent as well. I mean, I've watched all those. That is excellent. Um, That's an old one. That was one of the first big, you know, (laughs) mega marathon season uh, TV shows. But um, you have to put that, like, to use your phrase, like, a dollar value. That is making you more... Because if you're resting and you're re-energizing, and that's downtime, then that's actually good for you. That's like why these big corporate like investment banks, they send their top traders on week-long skiing retreats in the best place, you know, some, some tropical island to chill out or whatever, because they know they're going to come back fresher, they've had a break, they're, you know, if they've been in a slump, there's more chance of them getting out of it. If you just stay on the treadmill constantly, I mean, it's it's hard. You know, it's really hard. Uh, you can get yourself in a real funk and actually hurt yourself mentally that takes even longer of a break to come back from it, you know? Oh, yeah. When I was in uh, – well, I mean, to your point, when I was in Newark, New Jersey, uh, I was in an okay part of town, and it was near – I could walk up to the Prudential Center, and that's where they had the New Jersey Devils games. And I'm not a hockey fan, but I went to one game on a lark just to see what it was like. And I, I, I realized I still don't know like anything about hockey. I'm still grasping what the penalties are. But I recognize this is an amazing spectator sport because it's so fast in there's always something to pay attention to. You just check out of everything. You can't think of anything else, but you're just watching the game. And I went to something like 10 or 15 of those games, and the only reason I did it is because I couldn't think about anything else when I was just surrounded by all these hockey fans, and they were just screaming every time someone got close to the goal. And... In like the ninth one, I was sitting there not thinking about anything, gloriously not thinking about anything, just totally checked out from the world, present in the moment. And Master Tournament Poker in one class kind of came to me then. It was like, you know what would be a really cool product? It was because I was so relaxed. And I was thinking like my customers, like what would I love? And it was this, what about just an out-of-the-box product that tells you everything about how to play tournament poker? And I realized I started thinking of all the sections. Yeah, I could do that now. I have a lot of strategies that work. Uh, you know, it's going to be a journeyman kind of like haphazard Brad Gilbert style, but it'll get you deep in a lot of tournaments and it'll keep you in control. You'll know what to do pretty much in any spot. You won't love a lot of it because it's super risk averse, but it works. And that came to me when I was just thinking about nothing, just thinking about nothing. And when I went outside and I walked back home, then I was just present with my own thoughts. I could feel the thoughts getting muddled again because then you're thinking about, oh, you know, I got to pay this bill and oh, I got to get home and call this person. Oh, I got to do that. So I really think if you work in knowledge work, as they call it in some funny business books, I really think that kind of thing is really important and your box sets and your Ozarks and whatnot. Anyhow, what also is really important is answering your guys' questions. So why don't we do a few of those right now, Barry? Okay, let's get into the questions. 
Um, this first one, uh, let me see who's on the top of the list for today. It's Trevor. So this one is, when I'm in the big blind and the small blind limps when folded to the small blind, I will often raise the first time without even looking at my cards. The question is, if this happens the second or third time, I get a little bit more nervous about a trap from the other player. If I have been very active at the table, I sometimes wonder about the first time. Thoughts on this situation? Is this the answer? Is it the standard of play of three bet from position if you miss the flop and they call on the flop, be done with the hand unless you have second pair or a super strong draw or fold to a five bet if with most hands per our last session we figured if they are raising queens plus, ace queen plus that only kings or aces you should only play back with. That question started out very simple and then got extremely confusing. So let me try to parse it out. I, yeah. I think there, I think there was like a sentence that got omitted, which happens sometimes when people write in their questions. Uh, not because of our software or anything, just sometimes that happens. People write me emails all the time where I, I have to parse it out a little bit. But thank you, Trevor, for the question. I'm pretty sure I get this one. So the first question, I think what you meant to say is, like, what do I do if he limps in a bunch of the time? Well, this is why analytics are really good, because when you raise there and the guy re-raises you, he limp jams, uh, it hurts, right? Now, it doesn't matter if you touch that stove only one time out of a 100 and it burns you. All we remember is the one time it burns you, so you're pretty careful around a stove for the rest of your life. But that's a problem in tournament poker when every time you touch the stove and it's not hot, you get paid, and that's your that's your job. Well, also, losing chips is not as bad as burning yourself on a stove. So here's the thing. Analytics-wise, people do not limp re-raise, like, almost ever unless it's a limp jamming stack. So if a guy limps in like 18x, yeah, be suspicious. 24x, yeah, be suspicious. But if he limps in an 81x stack, the guys who will see your 2.5x raise and raise it to 8.5 are very few and far between. Uh, you also don't have to raise that much. A lot of times people will limp in and I'll just 2x it from the big blind. I'll do that because here's the problem is what most of these guys are doing is they're limping and they're leading the flop, which is actually a pretty good idea because once you check pre-flop to a limp, you've capped your range pretty severely. You probably would have raised a big high card. Uh, you probably would have raised a lot of pseudo connectors. So if a board comes out playing to those hands, uh, the small blind can just rep it. The small blind can rep pretty much anything, limp leading, they could have been limping big hands. They could have been limping nothing. But you floating on the board is going to put you in a huge problem if he bets again on the turn and you don't have a raise on you. Or the guy does the thing he do, they do in tournament poker, which is like, doy, what do I do? Okay, I call with a pair. Uh, the other thing is if you raise the flop, you're usually representing a very – narrow range so people can understandably three bet you more. Whereas if you just raise preflop and he calls, well now he's capped his range. And if he donk leads the board, that's not very believable. But so a lot of guys won't do it. I actually don't think it's that bad of a play. I, I think you could work that in. But most guys won't do it. So what they do is check to you and then you bet and then they have all the same problems. If they want to float you, you have position and the option to fire again on the turn. If they want to check raise you, they're representing a very tight range, and you can flat and see if they blink on the turn, or you can three-bet them there. So usually what most of them do is just fold. Now, I think your second question was, now what do I do if they just start raising a lot? And this is a great question because, understandably, we know people are raising pretty wide when they fold at the small line. If you just see like a king deuce offsuit 
in the small blind. Many guys will go, oh, this beats a random range. I should raise here. The thing is, if he's raising King Deuce offsuit, he's raising 35% of hands, which means you got to play back. Now, I, I think where you're getting a little muddled here is you're saying, well, what do I do if I three-bet and I see-bet and he calls me? Well, there's a, there's a couple different ways to look at that. When you three-bet there and he calls you, that's awesome, okay? Uh, first of all, there's 95% of the guys you play with will not be able to make that raise call out a position profitable. It's one of the hardest things to do in no limit hold'em. Uh, when I do get a guy who is good at it, and I get a database I can analyze where somebody can pull off that move, it is one of the best days of my year because it's so hard to find. And so if you if he raises, you three bet and he calls, fantastic. Now the question then becomes, okay, I fired flop, he calls, what do I do? Well, that comes to a question which we talk a lot about on how to think like a poker player, which is what is your most important thought when you see that a flop? Well, the most important thing is, does he fold high cards? According to analytics, the way most poker players play is they are willing to fold their high cards, especially on the flop. They're not really willing to fold pairs. They will call with pairs on the flop, and it's really hard to get them to fold on turn and river, way harder than you would expect. And they raise two pair or more way too much. Uh, they probably could do well by trapping those hands a little bit more, and they just don't do that. So what that means is if you are doing a C-bet that is likely to fold out high cards, that that's really likely to be a profitable bet. So let's say you three bet. Let's say the guy raises. You look down at king-10 offsuit. You three bet. Great. He's probably still calling you with queen-10, jack-10, 10-9, 10 suited, maybe even 10-7 suited, a lot of these word I'm not going to say. Uh, uh, people raise call too much. It, it, it's not a good play. So anyway, you raise. He calls. Awesome. Now you're making like five big blinds on this hand, three big blinds on this hand, as opposed to a blind. Love it. Uh, the board comes uh, two, three, six. He checks to you. Well, now you got to ask yourself, will he fold the high card? Will he fold high cards? Well, if you bet the half pot there, I don't know what the answer is to that question. Uh, I've researched it. I can't tell you. Some guys will call there with uh, ace-eight. Some guys won't. Some guys will float you with king-jack. I just don't know. What I do know is if you bet 75% pot there, especially live, you'll get a lot of <laughs> and then they'll fold. And guess what? If you bet 75% pot, that needs to work 42.8% of the time. How often does he just have high cards on that board? It's going to be north of 50. You're going to be making money. A lot of guys will not call with ace high there if you bet 75% pot. The other play you can do, which I like a lot more, is if you got a set there, bet a third pot. And when you got nothing, bet third pot. And what most of these guys will do is just peel with jack-10 offsuit or whatever strikes their fancy. 10-7 with a backdoor draw. And then the turn comes, they check to you, you bet 56% pot, and they fold all their high cards. Well, guess what? If they called you with most of their high cards on their flop, on that flop, and they're folding on that turn, they're folding 45% of the time. And 56% needs to work 35 or whatever it is, right? You're, you're clearing a profit. It's also, if you guys are really worried about balance, this is a great way to balance. And then you also have to know what boards probably smack his range. So if the board comes queen, nine, five, you probably should just, and you got king, 10, I think you should take your free card more often than most guys take it because he's, Combinatoric-wise, any two cards, nine or higher, is just smacking his range all over the place. He's not folding a lot of hands there. And you're not double-barreling if you miss, which means he's got the right to fire the, the river. Uh, you probably shouldn't be double-barreling because m most of his range is going to be pairs or like pretty good draws that might not be folding. A lot of times, you could just take your free card there. Especially if you got one of these younger guys that just you got the idea is not 
Uh, he's going to get pissy with sixes on that board and call a couple streets. And you're, you're just not down with the triple barrel. Now, if a guy four bets you pre-flop, I, I, I do have I have a hand going up on it's one of the Jonathan Little quizzes where a guy four bet me in WPT Baltimore and I bluffed it uh, because I was pretty sure it was a bluff. This is one of the hardest plays to execute. It is the play that I groan every single time I have to do it because I really feel like I'm forced into it sometimes to protect my three bets. But most games you're in, you could just, every time somebody four bets you, you can just give up because most guys only do it with big hands. And it's only when one guy is getting testy and you think you could smack him back and get him to call your three bets out of position again, that you should really consider it. I want you to know, I think it's the most like overused play in Hold'em. It's one of the most overused. I think nine times out of ten, it's stupid to execute. I, I think it's flashy poker. I think it's unnecessary most of the time. Pretty much every time I do it and it works, I'm actually scolding myself. Because I go, like, you couldn't give it up, could you, buddy? Couldn't fold that F4 bet. You tell your students to fold, but you couldn't, right? And because generally when people fold that, they've, they've got, like, you think about the number of people that will fold bet jack, jacks for value, and it's, it's gone way down over the years, much less, like, tens or nines. And the number, it used to be one of those dead standard plays. I have an ace blocker. I four bet. You hear a lot less about that now. You do not hear that nearly as much now. And I think the reason is, is a lot of guys who three bet just go doy and they flash you, which would actually be a pretty good idea if they could see your hand like ace eight offsuit. And now you've got a ton of reverse implied odds. So I think what happened is in the old days, People used to four bet with those hands and people would five better fold. And now the last like four years, people have been four betting. A guy calls them and they go, what the hell? And they lose a big pot and they go, I'm never doing that again. So trying to catch a four bet bluff, I just think it's overly fancy. It's just nine times out of 10, it's unnecessary. You can play the, you can play every tournament for the rest of your life, not looking for a five bet bluff. So I think we answered every part of that question, Trevor. Thank you for asking. Okay. And the next question is from Callum, fellow Scotsman. What's happening, boys? <laughs> just had a week with <laughs> Alex there. I play on a side that doesn't, Alex, I can hear myself back, mate. I play on a site that doesn't allow HUDs or tracking software. On the basis that the rake is low and the games are soft, uh, that's a good trade-off, but it does pose some problems when it comes to improving your game and studying. Obviously, live players will have this exact same issue, but looking back at notable hands doesn't seem ideal. Most of the time, it's a narrow spot where the result mostly depends on luck and the indeterminate range of the other player. Whereas I feel a lot of the profitable adjustments and improvements you can make are things like, I probably shouldn't raise fours or ace-jack off from that position because it's not profitable, or I probably shouldn't c-bet there. We leaks in seemingly inconsequential pots, but that constantly chip away at your win rate. Any advice for studying stuff like this when you can't use hand tracking software? Cheers for the podcast. Always a good listen. Keep up the good work, brothers. And he has, P.S., there's an addendum to this. The site doesn't allow notes either. However, the site does allow you to change your avatar and username with a simple click, and nobody can find out who it actually is. I feel like this is the sort of thing Alex would love if you're playing, say, cash on that site. Would he advocate just going to bon just going tonto with check bases for a few orbits, then switching profiles so you would never, in some of his words, tan the ATM? 
That was a lot. <laughs> so hold on, let me parse that out. Uh, was his name Scott? Talib. Talib? Oh my god, is it Talib? Talib. <laughs> Talib. C-A-L-L-U-M. We, we pronounce it Caleb in the States. I'm sorry. It's Caleb. It's Callum. C-A-L-L-U-M. Michael. Okay. Callum. Do you want to try and say it? Callum. Callum. Yeah. Callum. Callum. Okay. Hey, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for writing in. Well, I love sites like what you're describing. A lot of people think you gotta be a great poker player to make money, and I'm telling you guys, I was not good. A lot of it, a lot of the time, I was not good. I think I can play poker pretty well now. I like my game quite a bit now, but when I was 19, 21, hell no, <laughs> right? And the way I made a lot of money is I, what I did is I would look for poker websites. Uh, you can do a lot of this now with uh, the Bitcoin stuff, guys. Like, I don't have the time to do it. You should be doing it. You look for websites in weird markets, uh, just places you wouldn't even know if they had poker or not. Like, just Google, like, Iran poker or whatever. Like, I'm just throwing ideas out now, right? And then most of these sites have Bitcoin. But it's offshore gambling, so just send them 50 bucks, pretend the money's gone, and try to run it up. And a lot of the sites I've made my money on, they there was no stat tracking. There was no, it was a lot of anon, anonymous poker. You could change your name on some of the sites. And that's where I made most of my money. I did not, Poker Stars is really difficult to make money on. I played tournaments there because I had backers who said, I want you playing Stars tournaments. I think you're good enough. I'm like, well, if you're going to give me the money, okay, I'll play. And, like, yeah, I made a profit. But if you look at my Stars graph, it is not pretty. Full Tilt Poker, I appreciated much more. And the thing that's funny is Full Tilt Poker was, like, 5% softer than Stars. Like, Full Tilt was still a pretty tough site. And the difference is hundreds of thousands, over tens of thousands of games. You take a site that's like 25% softer, oh my lord. And everybody thinks because I wrote the myth of poker talent that I'm just a stat junkie. No, I'm a big believer in using every tool that's available to you, especially if you have no illusions of grandeur. In poker, if you just think like, look, I'm a normal guy, no smarter than everybody else, I gotta take every edge I can get here. There's no steroids in poker, but there are stats. Knowing more than the other, it's a game of incomplete information. The more information you have, the more power you have. Now, I wrote the myth of poker talent because I, I wanted to leave something that it's, I got out of a bad situation because in the library system in the United States, which was free to me, I could read poker book after poker book for free, and it gave me a living. So I thought it would be really disingenuous if I did not try to provide something for that and did not pay it forward. And hopefully, I just was delighted in the idea of some kid getting that book and realizing they could make a living outside of the statist, corporatist grid like a true libertarian, but I wrote it for online poker and I wrote for the sites that could do stat tracking because that was just the fastest road. And that's what most guys would be doing if they were outside of the United States uh, where there's just not as much live poker. But the way you hammer on sites with no stat tracking is it's not too hard. It's I'm always amazed how hard a lot of guys, how hard it is for a lot of guys. And I think it's because I had a student yesterday, Barry. I told him, I'm not, I don't mean this as a compliment, but you're too smart for this. And I, I was really, and then I listed all the reasons why that's a problem. 
which is when I get athletes as my students, the way it works is I say, okay, do this. This is why. Do you see the logic? Yes. Do you agree with the logic? Yes. Okay, do this. And if it stops working, send me an email immediately and I'll fix it for you, right? I'll look at your hands, we'll figure it out. And then they go and they work and they make money most of the time. When you get a really smart guy, he starts coming up with things in his head. And that can almost hurt you. And we've talked about this before, Barry, I think privately, which was there was a guy that was trying to show people how to trade. And uh, he made like a pilot's checklist. I think it was you who was telling me about this. And he made a pilot's checklist. And he said, like, the average people did better than the smart people because the smart people would try to put their own flourish on it and it would just go into the ground. That was you telling me about that, right, Barry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, poker, we do this a lot, which is most of you guys listening to this podcast, you got some chops. Uh, you, you're studying, which means you know a lot more than most poker players because 98% of poker players do not listen to poker podcasts, do not watch training videos, but they, they'll follow poker news. They want to see who's winning tournaments or whatnot, but they're fans. They, they don't really premeditate plays. So the problem with anonymous poker is people just get up in their head like, oh, you could have seen that I did this, and then he's thinking that. No, no, no. Stick with your meat and potatoes bets. I'm going to throw some ranges at you. The average guy will call out of the big blind with 30 to 35% of his hands. The average player will open from the hijack, cutoff, or button with 25% or more of their hands, 20% from the hijack. The average player will cold call in position from 9 to 12% of their hands. The average person will three bet without the ability to move all in five to six percent of their hands. Now you tell me which one of these ranges do you think is the most exploitable? Well obviously it's gonna be the big blind. He's calling with too many hands. Even when he hits the board, he doesn't hit solidly. You can get a lot of value from your good hands. You can run him off his really brittle third pairs, etc, etc. Hence that's why I always advocate opening to an amount that will get you heads up with the big blind. It even works in WPTs. I open a 3.5x, everybody pisses and moans, and then the big blind calls me. Sweet. Big pot in position versus a weak range. I'd have to be a pretty stupid player to not make money from this. And when I sit down at these tournaments, they change my table every two hours. I don't know who the hell anybody is. And it's the same thing on these sites. You just know what people generally do. Also, when people open 25, 20% of hands, 30 bet them. They're going to call you with all of them. Get three bet them in position, and then you got a big pot in position versus a wide range. Again, you'd have to be a pretty bad player to screw this up. Now, if you raise from early position, a guy from middle position cold calls you, hit the brakes. You don't have to see bet. Just because everybody else see bets, Every single time. Doesn't mean you have to. If the board comes with two cards, nine or higher, and you didn't have none of that, check fold. Save your chips. And if a guy three bets you, and it's on one of these softer networks, most of the time he's got it. Of course, there's like 10% of players that are exploiting you. But that's okay, because most of them are. Even if 20% of them are exploiting you, which would be way higher than what I've normally seen, that still means 8 out of 10 guys are not. You can just move on with your life. The problem is a lot of intelligent people, like, I was dumb when I got into poker. And I did, here was my thing. I found one thing that worked and I kicked its ass. I, I was broke and I needed the money. There was no putting my own flourish on it. I didn't have that luxury. And honestly, it was the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me. What you need is... Just to go like, just the facts, ma'am, put it, put it together, focus on what 
these big ranges, exploiting these ranges, and then take when you're on the flop, if you got one of these big ranges to call you, usually if the board doesn't have two cards nine or higher, the guys whip the board a good 45 plus percent of the time. So ask yourself what bet will get high cards to fold. And most guys will fold their high cards. According to analytics, like the average fold on the flop is about 50%, which is funny because you have nothing about 50% of the time. People fold their high cards. They just need a reason to. If you bet third pot, that's not that good of a reason. A lot of people will be like, all right, after you, buddy, and they'll call you with their high cards. If you bet 60% of the pot, 62, something goofy, they haven't seen, that's a good enough reason. Okay, I can fold. Nobody likes calling with high cards on the flop. It feels weird. The only reason we call with ace, eight of spades on queen of hearts, two of spades, three of diamonds is because we feel like a fish if we just fold. But if somebody bets like 63% of the pot into us and it looks a little weird, now we kind of have a reason to fold because, okay, this guy's goofy. Maybe he's trying to set up some big bats with a set or something. And most of... I made gaudy amounts of money on these crappy networks because I played poker 16 hours a day, literally, at one point. Play eight hours of tournament poker a day, and I play eight hours of cash games a day. As I say that, I just look back and go, wow, like, that's so dumb. But uh, I played more than anyone, and all I did was just three bet people that were opening too much, walk the dog when I had the hand, and the big blind had called me and just value bet. And seabed to get them off their hands. And I didn't try to add too many flourishes, right? Now, you're asking what kind of notes you can take. Well, you're saying you can't take notes on the site. You know I'm going to tease you. In the words, well, let's shoehorn a great quote in here. I think it's the Chinese that say that the weakest pencil, the softest pencil, has a better memory than the sharpest mind. And that's really true. Just have a notepad. I have, here, let me see if you guys can, you guys can hear these pages. That's my notepad. There's always a notepad with a pen right next to my laptop. Been that way since I started. So anytime you got an idea or something, you write it down. One of the best uses of your time, other than just checking in with yourself, like what's my mental strength at, my, my pitching arm, my mind, how strong is it today, right? One to ten, what can I do with this rating? The other thing you can just, one of the greatest uses of your time is just going over your notes. And the simplest notes to take are the best notes on these sites. You just got to keep track of this part of the action. Who opened, who cold called, who three bet, who C bet. That's it. That's If you get that, the hand will usually be so interesting by the Turner River, especially live, that you'll, you'll be paying attention. Usually pots are big by Turner River, and that's when most people pay attention. So you just got to make sure to get yourself there. So just pay attention to who opened, who called, who three bet, who C bet. That's it. And I know you can't do it at four tables at a time, eight tables at a time. So just do it on one table, right? Take notes. Or it sounds like you're, you're playing not that many tables. So I would just, if there's a hand replayer, you can just go through and write down who did what with where. And try to see if anybody's expanding those ranges. If somebody opens a jack eight suited under the gun plus two, well... Now you can treat him just like most hijack openers because he's probably opening a little too wide. If you see the mother load, that's a dry ace. Like an ace-7 offsuit. I mean, just throw in every combo you can think of. Because that's 12 unsuited combos and four suited combos of ace-7. Probably ace-6, ace-5, ace-4, ace-3, ace-2. He's missing a lot of boards that don't have an ace on him. You better attack. And when people cold call, look what they cold called with. And when they see bet, look what they see bet with. If you see a guy just see bet 
like ace two of hearts on jack of spades, ten of spades, nine of spades, you better be check raising that guy the next time he see bets into you when you complete it from the big blind. That's that's how I put my money together before I went into business for myself coaching. I hope that helps you, good sir. Okay. And he did put on a little thing at the end, which I should read out because it is quite funny. Um, PPS, I thought you would particularly enjoy this, Barry, as a Scottish football fan. But I play on an Irish poker site and the Rangers-related profile names I have. The amount of 1888 and 1690 chip bets against me are certainly above normal. If you do answer this question, I would love you to hear you explain this detail to Alex. So, the guy's a Rangers fan, and in Scottish football, the two biggest clubs are Rangers and Celtic. And um, there's notorious, like, crazy things between them that we're not going to go right into on this podcast, but there's a lot of sectarianism still rife in Scottish football and problems, you know, between Protestants and Catholics. So, Rangers are Protestant, uh, well, traditionally supported in a Protestant club, and Celtic are Catholics. So he's a Rangers fan, and his user ID must be something to do with, you know, Rangers football or whatever. So likely Celtic fans are betting 1888 against them. That's the year that they were founded, Celtic. <laughs> 1698 is the Battle of the Boyne, which is the Protestants and all this nonsense. And so there's like all this. So I don't know what the American equivalent would be or something like you. You know, if you imagine some team and, like, their biggest rivals, they would be, like, the date they were formed, you would use that as a chip bet, like, for a needle or whatever. So there's a lot of needling going on there um, with, with the chip, uh, the chip uh, values that they're chipping. That is so amazing. We don't have an American equivalent because we... That, that's the amazing thing is you guys have been around since the dawn of time. Like we pretty much got established right when the first McDonald's went up, you know, it's like not as much history here, but that's sick. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So Alex, that's all we got time for this week. Um, and currently Celtic are actually winning one nil Callum. So uh, he, Callum's a Rangers fan. Uh, they play later on tonight. Um, I've got the TV on you. I've now got the luxury of uh, bought the new laptop to do the podcast on, so I don't have to use the uh, screen as a monitor for the old laptop with the broken screen I was using <laughs> because it had the old podcast recording software on it. Now I got a brand new MacBook Pro that's like, oh, it's one of these things we talk about. It just throw money at your problems. This would have saved me so much heartache if I just went and done this so long and I was just being cheap. Um, or you think you're being sensible, but you're not, you know, you're just causing yourself problems. So I've had the, the game on mute just in the background there, so um, just so I could keep an eye on the score. Um, okay, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for your webinars, products, and further information, your newsletter, etc.? If you guys want to write me about anything, it's alex at pokerheadrush.com. If you want to sign up for my newsletter, I'd really recommend you do that as soon as you can because I have a ton of free stuff I haven't been able to send out. We're, we're talking like hour-long recorded lessons with PowerPoints and screenshots of hands and analyses and statistical breakdowns, just stuff that I hope will really, I know will really amp up your game really quickly, and it's all free. So, and if you want to sign up for that newsletter, go to pokerheadrush.com. That's my ancient blog. Go to the top right and sign up for the newsletter, and when you sign up for that newsletter, you'll get a much prettier, uh, every couple of days, you'll get a much prettier newsletter sent to you with free podcasts, uh, free webinar invites, free training videos, free articles, all that good stuff. Check out my training videos on Tournament Poker Edge. Tournament Poker Edge is kind enough to have me right now doing hand history reviews. We get to do more long form. We get to talk more of the nuances of poker. That's been really fun. Follow me on YouTube at Assassinado Coaching and follow me on Twitter at The Assassinado. Okay. And keep your questions coming in for Alex. We will get them answered on a future show. Please email questions at oneouter.com. 
you can post them in the Facebook group or tweet them to me, but I do prefer if you email them. Um, it is a lot easier for us to process and keep a track of them. Who's up next on the list, etc. Alex, I hope the rest of your day goes well. I hope you don't try and switch your computer off by putting it in the bath or something like that. <laughs> I hope you, you know, I hope you enjoy. I did that twice, jackass. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks for joining us. We'll see y'all next week. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.